Football Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Italian Football Podcast. I'm Carlo Garganese, joined as always by Nima Tavali. This is our free weekly Monday show. Um, today we're going to be focusing quite a lot on the World Cup. There's a, there's a lot of big talking points we're, get, we're going to go through. We're recording this on Monday um, before the two Monday games. So um, currently there are four teams that have already qualified for the for the quarterfinals of, um, of the World Cup. That's uh, Holland who beat the USA, Argentina who beat Australia, France who beat Poland and England who beat Senegal. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about the, um, the games uh, before that um, at the end of the, the first group stage because we had um, uh, some, some big casualties, um, Belgium uh, in particular and Germany. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about them too. Okay, right, let's get into it. Right, before we start off on the World Cup, um, on Thursday's show, we did a big deep dive on this um, big scandal that's broken out in Serie A uh, at Juventus. Um, So if you want to listen to that uh, in depth, um, listen, you know, become a patron on patreon.com slash TIFP. And we did a a big one-hour show where we basically answered every single question related to the case. So there's there's not too much to say today, but just, just before we get into the World Cup stuff, Nima, has there been any updates in the in this Juventus scandal? Oof, um yeah, I mean it's not I mean we know that they're they're moving towards indictment uh, of the people that we mentioned on Thursday. There's been more leaks uh in terms of the f- the phone wires uh, sorry the, the yeah the, the recorded phone the, the wiring of, of the conversations on phone um that's leaked out but nothing nothing really substantial if i'm perfectly honest has happened since thursday in terms of the legal implications um they we, we were yet to see what <clears throat> we're yet to see when the date is set for the hearing, I've I've not seen it. I mean, we're recording this as you said on Monday at two p.m. CET. I've yet to see when there will be a court date, if there will be a court date. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, I'm sure that will come out in the next day or so, and then we'll proceed from then on. Um, but what I have, what we have seen is that you know, uh, Juventus are you know moving on. Um, they're they're trying to kind of pick up the pieces and and and, and see what they're going to do. And move on from from this. And now that the dust has settled a little bit, and the initial shock has, um, has 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 worn off. Yeah, and we should find out more, shouldn't we, in the next few days? Because it was it was they said at first they said five days, didn't they? Before. Yeah, no, it, it, it was within the. It was uh, it, they said within five days to decide whether to dismiss the case or indict. And and I've I'm, as I said by it's two p.m. CET on a Monday, and I'm yet to see uh, anything official on that. But I'm sure we'll find out soon. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on to the World Cup now then, because there's a lot of really interesting talking points. Um, first of all, I want to look at Belgium and Germany, who were both uh, eliminated from the from the group stages. Um, I want to start with Belgium, because <laughs> they were, so many so-called experts were predicting them to get to the semi-final this tournament, which I thought was something of a joke at first, um, but it, they were actually dead serious. And for me, I was very, very confident from the start. And I said that I thought they were going to go out in the group stages. And, and that is what ended up happening. But obviously, the, the headlines were all about 
and it's is related to Serie A, all all about Romelu Lukaku, um, who who I mean I don't think I've ever seen a game where um, a player has missed so many open goals. I mean they were real sitters. They weren't half chances. They were some of them unmissable chances. Pretty much, I've never seen it. It was just so Lukaku. It had to happen to him, and and the poor guy has has been absolutely slaughtered um, since since then, um, including in <laughs> including in the Ghanaian Parliament, which has become like that's the, been the, so funny. The yeah. the Maguire and Lukaku banter when they're talking about the budget is is so funny. Yeah, it is hilarious. It is hilarious. Um, but you know, he. I mean, I'd like to look at how how. Two parts to this. First of all, how does Romelu Lukaku's latest, uh, you know, performance uh, affect his legacy? Because for me, you look at his his numbers as a whole, and he's the he's the top scorer in the in the in the, the history of the Belgium national team. Sixty eight goals in in one hundred and four games. He's got over three hundred career goals for club and country. I mean, these are absolutely incredible numbers. There's very few players really in the history of the game that have hit over 300 career goals. And he's obviously still 29, so he can still add to that. But on the very highest level for club and country, he's always fallen short. And then for club, at club level, we know, we've spoken about it at depth, you know, failed at Man United, he failed at Chelsea twice. Brilliant for Everton, brilliant for Inter under Conte. But, you know, obviously we're talking about a Serie A level now. But for Belgium... You know, incredible in qualifying and friendlies, but his performance at major tournaments has been, you know, if we look at them as a whole, you know, not bad, but decent at best. Certainly not that of a of a great player. And he's played at five major tournaments for Belgium, um, and he's he, he scored one goal at the World Cup 2014. Uh, he scored one goal, scored in one game at Euro 2016 versus Ireland. Um, he scored four in the 2018 World Cup, but they were all in the group stages. He scored four in Euro 2020, but you know three in the group stages, and then just a penalty versus Italy. And then, obviously, Euro 2022 was a was a complete complete disaster for him. Um, and he's you know he's had some really high profile clangers that have cost Belgium in key games during these tournaments. You know he missed the he missed two absolute sitters against Italy at, at both Euro 2016 and. 2020 and then obviously the sitters the open goals I mean virtual open goals the other night I mean is this just kind of like does this just kind of sum up the story of Lukaku's career I don't think it sums up his career I think it sums up the the curse of the inter striker in this world cup Um, Lautaro Martinez has had not had exactly a lucky uh, start to this tournament either um and look, I, I, even though those situations are very, very different, focusing on Lukaku, we know that from his career previously that he is the kind of player that needs five, six games before he hits the ground running and then he scores in clusters. Then he goes on these five, six, seven, eight game runs where he scores one, two goals every single game. In a fickle tournament like the World Cup, where it's very short, it's only seven games between the first group stage game and the final, you don't really have that much room to manoeuvre. 
Um, and I think Lukaku, given where Belgium was, was he almost became like a symbol of that Belgium side, a little bit out of form, a little bit past their best, a little bit not in form, uh, all of that at once. Um, and they were sitters, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I mean, same thing with <clears throat> Lautaro, I think, in the sense that, I mean, just, you know, the, the two goals against Saudi Arabia taken off or offside, um, I mean, just think about it. He has, he, you know, he, he got into that tournament. Those goals would have been, you know, they'd been onside. You know, he, his confidence levels are are flying. They don't lose that first game. He doesn't, you know, get into he starts second guessing himself. I think a lot of the times in these short tournaments, it's about it's those tiny, tiny little details that decide it. Um, and and that's also true about Romelu Lukaku. I don't think it affects his legacy at the World Cup or for Belgium at all. I mean, you know, he's he's shown over the years who he is. But I think it does show that the, the, the his generation at Bel- uh, in Belgium is they're 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 over now. It's finished. It's time for Belgium to to find new players and new talents to build around. Um and maybe you know, it's it's a shame that for 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 Lukaku that he he never really got that like bullseye moment internationally um i mean if we're perfectly honest he's kind of lacked that in his career as well except for those two years at inter uh, where he won a scudetto yeah that's um, the point uh, that's the point i'm making i just feel like you know and we know that lukaku's big game record is is it's abysmal if let's be honest mm. <laughs> throughout his whole career He's. I mean, I just think again. This game, like I said, I think it sums up his career. Like on the when it really matters, on the bit in the very biggest moments, biggest the biggest games. Lukaku, the pressure gets to him. He he's just not very strong mentally. Like we've seen throughout his career that he doesn't, he can't handle criticism very well. He can't handle disappointment. When 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 things are going with him, that's great. When he's feeling loved. When, when he when obviously Conte you know was there was a great bromance there you know when when he feels he's important you know that's great but when the going gets tough and the chips are down he he's, he he you know he 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 can't handle it he can't handle the pressure and when he they needed him and you know he completely folded in this game and yes obviously his injury problems he wasn't physically fit and and I do realize also that having him on the field did make a difference in terms of you know a lot of these chances came about through Lukaku being on the pitch. They just didn't have anyone there, didn't have a presence at all. So that did help. But at the end of the day, he didn't put them away. He didn't put the chances away. So, um, you know, uh, kind of pointless, really. Um, but how will, how will it affect Inter? You know, will he be mentally broken by this? Can, can Inter pick him up? I don't think he'll be mentally broken by this uh, at all. <clears throat> I think it's... Uh... Uh, I think he, he, you know, he was rushing to get, you know, this was a special season. This was going to be his redemption season. Uh, it's been anything but uh, so far. It's been actually an unmitigated disaster, if I'm perfectly honest, for Inter and to some extent also for Belgium. But I don't think it'll break him mentally. I think, if anything, it'll probably stress him uh, to perform even better, even more, c- come return back into form even more after Christmas, which I'm a little bit worried about. I'm worried that he might overwork himself. I think the most important thing Simone Inzaghi can do is to help him relax and not... That's, what, that's get... the point I'm making. Does Lukaku play better when he is relaxed, when he's feeling c- comfortable, not yeah. when he's under pressure? And when he's under yeah. pressure, this is what happens. He plays badly. 
Yeah. No, he, he tenses up and he, he, yeah. he's like, it, to me, it's like, it's almost like he, he wants to show so everyone wrong so badly that he almost, he overworks everything and, 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 and just tenses up. And instead of when he's a relaxed, calm, happy, um, I, I think at Inter, he is so loved. That's the difference. Uh, I think that at Inter, he will, everybody, I mean, you saw when he came back just before he injured himself. I mean, the standing ovations, the goals in the Champions League, everybody was so happy to see him. You know, finally, Big Rom is back. Like, I, I think he is the main, you know, he is incredibly loved and supported. And he needs to be in an environment where he feels that kind of support. And he is that at Inter. And Simone Inzaghi absolutely adores him and believes in him and wants to, you know, work on him. So I think, I think that, I, I actually think this could, almost become a little bit like fuel for him to to kind of kickstart everything in January, assuming he doesn't injure himself again. Uh, but I mean, that, that's, that's a great unknown um, because is he, you know, given that he's played at th- this level since he was 16 years old and he's, you know, 30 soon, um, pushing 30, is it, is it just a case that maybe he needs to start treating his body in a in a different way in order to maintain longevity, if that's what he's after? Um, mm-hmm. Because you know the human body is is still made of no matter how a human being is fantastic physically and can do fantastic things physically, they're still made of flesh and bone. They're still humans, and if you push your body for fourteen, fifteen years at that highest level, at some point you might burn yourself out. So I think now with him, it's about training him and keeping him fit intelligently. I think he even more more than ever now has to think about how he trains, how he eats, how he takes care of himself off the pitch in order to avoid the kind of crash decline that we kind of, to some extent, have already seen in the last 15 months mm. since ever, ever since he made that move to Chelsea, really. Yeah. After the oh movie. yeah, for sure. Form and fitness uh, just, you know, he, he, he hasn't <coughs> plummeted and the number of injuries, he, he missed more games in the first, before yeah. Christmas, but he missed more games uh, through injury before Christmas um, in his first season back at Chelsea, so 2021-22, than he missed in the entire eight years since. And obviously since yeah. then, the injuries have just kept coming. We've seen within yeah. this season, he's only played 256 minutes of football uh, and he went into that World Cup being so unfit um, that obviously that contributes uh, to uh, well to to, this, to all those misses the other night. Um, another big team that have have gone out is Germany, who who went out of the group stages uh, after another dismal another dismal performance. Um, and I, I, what I wanted to discuss with Germany is that I think there's definitely a, um, a comparison to be made with Italy because. These are uh, Europe's two best football nations um, in, in, in the history of the game. Now, I've lost the stat, and I did research this the other day, but if you go back to the start, the very first World Cup in 1930, but if you go all through every single World Cup since then, have a look at who made the World Cup final in each year. Italy or, Italy or Germany are in the final <laughs> in the majority of the, of a final had either Italy or Germany in, you know, 1934, Italy, 1938, Italy, 1954, Germany, West Germany, 
1966, West Germany. 1970, Italy. 1974, West Germany. 1982, uh, Italy and, and West Germany. 1986, West Germany. 1990, West Germany. 1994, Italy. 2002, Germany. 2006, Italy. 2014, uh, West Germany. So almost virtually every single year almost, only a, a handful of, of World Cup finals since since the World Cup started 92 years ago, has always had an Italy and Germany. And if you look at the, the European uh, Championship as well, I think Germany the most successful and you know, Italy, Italy have won two. You know, it's unbelievable the dominance of these two nations. Yet we're now looking at the last two World Cups where Italy have failed to qualify. Germany have, have gone out uh, embarrassingly in the group stages of both. Then if you take Germany's European Championship performance as well, They've only got to the last sixteen of the of the Euros. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's been. A, I mean, obviously Italy won the Euros in between, um, and you know that's that's that will stay with them forever. But you know, are we seeing a shift, or is it just something cyclical? Or you know, because we we like I said throughout history, we've only ever known Germany and Italy being the dominant footballing nations in Europe, and now they're they're both failing so badly. I think it will never I don't think we'll ever see that kind of dominance in football again. I mean, what what is it? 14 out of 18 World Cup finalists. I that mean, might or, be I might have that stat wrong, but it's not yeah. far off. It's something correct. No, that, but yeah. something like that. Like it's it's yeah. insane. I mean, you just listed it all up, all all out. That's that's insane. I don't think we're ever going to see that kind of dominance because I think the level of competition overall um, has improved. I mean, we look at Spain's golden age when they won three tournaments in a row. Um, you know, you've got France now. Um, you know, so it's as well in England have a generation that they've probably never had as talented, if we're perfectly honest. Um, and, and, but, but the problem, I would be worried if, if I looked at, I, I was more, let me put it to you this way. I was far more worried in year, in, in 2000 for German football. I was far more worried four years ago after that debacle for Germany than I am now. I think what we're seeing now in this German side is is a little bit of an identity crisis, trying to find the right balance between the traditional German team, you know, team, the, the kind of organization, and this is how we play as a team, and no, you know, no, you know, and the balance between that and the individual brilliance of someone like Sane and Musiala. I think it's a little bit of an identity crisis. And I think it was a little bit also down to chance. I mean, without having verified this, I'm pretty sure that Germany has hit the woodwork more than any other team in this tournament. Uh, and it's the game against Japan was insane. Uh, how the, 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 it was a festival of missed chances. Um, there, the, the, you know, the, if you look at XG and how many ch- big chances they created, they, they just, it was not even close. I mean, it w- I'd be much more worried if they barely scraped through these games, but they didn't. They got into the tournament wrong against Japan. They scrambled against Spain, and they kind of did so against Costa Rica as well. And it just turned out to to not be enough on the day. I think it was more down to chance, similarly to how Italy after the Euros more down to the individual situation, not qualifying for the World Cup, um, like these specific debacles of not qualifying for the World Cup or going through from the group stage. But I do think that Hansi Flick is the right man 
for the job. I think the, the, this regeneration, rejuvenation, rejuvenation that he's done is, is the right one. I think it's about tweaking um, more than anything. Uh, and I expect Germany to be back. Um, and by back, I mean contending for a title within the next two to four years. I don't. Got, same, they're, same they're, they're at home. They're obviously they're obviously hosting the, the next yeah. Euros. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think there was obviously some bad luck involved in, in their exit. Um, just through the, like you said, through the number of chances that they created in the. I actually thought even against Spain, I actually thought well, first half they, they were, were played off the park. They were played off the yeah. park in the first half. But I actually thought second yeah. half they they deserved the draw from the game. I thought, yeah. but uh, I think that there's 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 a, there's too many clear weaknesses, and this is why I, I said at the start of the tournament I didn't expect them to do very well, and it's why I think most German journalists and experts didn't really fans didn't expect them to do very well either. There's too many clear weaknesses. Their defense is an absolute unmitigated disaster, and you see by the number of goals that they conceded. Uh, in the tournament, they're just it is it's dreadful their defence, uh, and they don't have a number nine um, either, which is obviously plays into the number of missed chances that they had. They've got an incredible midfield and attacking midfield, but at the either end of the pitch, there, there's glaring weaknesses. And and I think I also think Hansi Flick had a, was a, had a shocker of a tournament, and that yeah. comes from someone who's a fan of him. I thought he Me was too. awful, dreadful. That his starting eleven, some of the decisions that he made were. Some of his in-game decisions were fine, but his starting choices was wrong. Were, it was completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, like agree one hundred percent. Muller was off it. Like you know, there was. I saw at the beginning of the tournament um, that there was there, there was uh, there was odds of of, of, of uh, Thomas Muller to be finished top scorer of the of the tournament over a hundred to one. I saw one thing and one uh, bookmaker. I thought this can't be right. This <coughs> must be wrong. And I checked it and it, and it really wasn't. I was going to put a bet on it because I thought 100 to 1 for Thomas Muller. I thought, that's pretty good. And I asked a couple of German friends. They said, no, no, stay well out of it. You're well short of fitness. Uh, hasn't played much, uh, you know, and he's done. And But he kept playing him. And I'm thinking, you know, so, but yeah, I mean, coming to the bigger picture. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Italy, uh, and having spoken to people, because I asked, I asked uh, our friend Ronan Murphy about this because he's a big German football expert and, before we did this show, so I wanted to know, and I, and I asked him, you know, what what players do Germany have that are coming through the next generation, um, and 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 his answer was that really there's there's not that much. There's obviously Musiala, who's who's fan, I think is fantastic, and I think he's going to have a big career. It's incredible dribbler, close dribbler. Um, they've got Mukoko, the 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 young Dortmund wonder kid, and they've got him. Um, but apart from that, there isn't there isn't really that much, you know. There's not really that much talent, and obviously players can always emerge. But there's no defenders. There's no real defenders coming through uh, at all, uh, and there's no obvious kind of natural number nine either that's coming through. And there are players in this in this in this starting eleven that are, you know, over thirty that are or approaching thirty that are going to have to be, you know, they might not have another tournament uh, in them, or they might be past their best in the next tournament. So. You know, I think Germany have a lot of work to do, and I think when you compare it to Italy, I think Italy definitely have more more players coming through than Germany. I think Italy's immediate future looks brighter just in t- just in terms of the personnel that we have available, the the players that are developing. Um, but uh, but yeah, it is. I think I think you're right though. I think that we won't see that level of dominance from no. from two teams like 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 we saw for no. so long. And there's, there's, there's. I think uh, the era of that is over in football. Uh, generally, it's not just. I think the competition is too high. I think the the teams are too well prepared. All the teams are too prepared, well prepared. 
yeah. for that for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Germany, they, they really, they rebuilt everything over after their disaster at the beginning of the <clears throat> millennium. Uh, and yeah, this and, the, and it's going to be interesting if they do that again. I mean, they use this is well, so that's German. My point. That's what I was coming. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I was coming to because they've actually they've actually performed worse in this three these three tournaments than I think they've ever done in their history. Because yeah. even when the thing about Germany is that even when they started to go a bit crap after you know the nineties, you know when things, yeah. I mean, really things started to decline. And I mean, even in their Euro '96 team, I don't think it was particularly great. It's quite an aging team. It was oh, it was it was. An old team. it was an old team. It was an it old was. team, but. But they still, you know, they still won the tournament uh, and probably undeservedly won the tournament, to be fair. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't an amazing team. It wasn't like their 1990 team or their 1986 no. team or 82 team or 74 team or 70 yeah. team, or, you know, that which were just full of legend after legend after legend. You know, the, yeah. the teams, but they still seem to keep doing well. You know, 2002, they still got to the final somehow with a dreadful yeah. team in 2000. Okay, yeah. most of the good teams got cheated out of the tournament. But, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, 2008, they got to the Euros with, a, with an average team. So they, they, they could always punch them out of their way. Yet now, you know, they probably had better, they've got better players now than they had then, yet they've, they've, they've performed badly. So it's, it's weird from mm. a mental, mentality point of view as well, whether this Germany is the, is the same Germany um, as before. Yeah. It always, it's, always perform, even when they didn't have good players. It, it was always never right off the Germans because they'll always perform, even if they don't have any good players. You know? So that, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting one as well. Yeah. yeah, it is. Okay, right. Big question now. Big, big question. This is, this is a big, uh, big talking point. Uh, maybe one we should have done later in the tournament, but after his magical performance against Australia, I think we're, let's let's do it now. We can do it all again before the semi-final when I think that Argentina are going to meet Brazil in the semis. Um, so there will be so much to talk about for us because there are going to be a lot of Serie A players in that game. But let's see if they can both get there first. Um, but Messi, Messi was was absolutely glorious against Australia. Um, he Argentina uh, were doing nothing in this game. Absolutely nothing. They, they were dreadful. Let's be honest. They were awful. Uh, until Messi, just an individual moment of magic, put them ahead. And then from there on, the game opened up and I thought Argentina were pretty good second half and, and deserved to win, even though Australia could have got that <laughs> that, that equaliser right at the end to make it 2-0 and, 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 and get to extra time. I thought Australia did fantastically well. Uh, they've done so well in this tournament. They've played so so far above, above, above themselves. They've been such a, a great team as a unit, as to the togetherness, and they, they've done so well. But... Messi was the difference. Let's be honest. Messi decided this game. If he wasn't, if Messi wasn't on the pitch here for Argentina, I don't even know if Argentina would have necessarily won this game. Um, I'm very I really inclined don't. to agree. I, very I, inclined I really to don't. agree. Yeah, yeah. So, so the big question is now. You know, this has been so far. Messi has has carried. Uh, Argentina because you know the second the second game as well against Mexico they were struggling and he and he and he scored the goal. Um, you know, if Messi was to win this World Cup, you know, there's been this this never-ending Messi versus Maradona debate. If Messi was to win the World Cup, would this take him above Maradona? Would this make him the greatest player of all time, let's say? It would certainly make those claims much more valid, in my opinion, because by th- that means he would have basically completed football. I mean, he would have won the Olympics, he would have won Copa America, he would have won the World Cup. He's won everything at European club level. Um, he's missing, what, uh, uh, a Copa Libertadores, which I'm sure he can sort out at the, in the twilight of his career, if that's what he wants to do. But 
he he will have completed football, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have won yeah. everything there is to win. Um, so there will definitely be a sh- be be um, be in terms of career wise. I I think yes. I don't think anyone can can say anything against that in just terms of what he's accomplished in his career. But if you look at the level that he reached when at his best and compare that to Maradona, those years, 86 to 89, just, I was doing this because I was sick over the weekend and I had lots of spare time. And what one <laughs> does when, when one is sick is one naturally goes back and rewatches every single game that Argentina played in the 1986 World Cup. Why not? And, <laughs> you know, seriously, yes, the tempo is lower. But the defending is ruthless, if not, you know, if I did that to someone on a pitch, I'd be sent to prison. Did you see the pitches in 86 as well? Exactly. How cut up they were. Did you see when he you went want on to that talk run? About heat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you want to talk about heat, if you want to talk mm-hmm. about um, the, the, the level of protection or non-existent from the referees, and then you look at what that man does. Most of his impressive things that he does in those games are chances that his teammates can't even score, tap-ins they miss, that no one even remembers because they didn't turn into goals. He, the level that he played at in, in 1986 at the World Cup is the highest any player has ever played at in World Cup history. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, that. There's it's no doubt just, about that. It's yeah. just that simple. I mean... The, the, I think, sing- yeah. Sorry, go. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I'm in agreement with you completely. I, I think that depends how you analyze this. I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna look at who is the greatest club club player of all time, just put it at club. I think it's hard to look past Messi. Certainly, if we're looking at the greatest one club player of all time, I think it has to be Messi. Like what he did, just all the records he broke and all the goals he scored, the assists, and the numbers back it up trophies he won but the, the part that he played in all those trophies uh you know the impact that he had the influence that he had as you know absolutely incredible obviously there's always the argument that you know Messi only really did it for one club okay I know he's gone to PSG now but he's playing in a in a poor league and let's see if he can do it in the Champions League and take them to, the, to win the Champions League mate if he does that then you, you can you know you can add that as well but you know he, he some players have done it in more leagues for in different environments, um, you know. So, the, the, I mean, it's that argument. But I, I, I do think, though, that if you're looking at a club player, you know, Messi probably is the greatest club player uh, of all time. But when you're combining it, club and international, and, let, and let's remember, until recently, I would say until the last 10 to 15 years, um, international football was always the pinnacle of football. Yeah. It, it was always Agreed. the highest level of football. That has changed in the last 10, 15 years. Agreed. For for reasons which we've actually got a question on it in our Q&A episode on Tuesday, which we're going to discuss this in more detail, in which um, what I will say is that, um, you know, I think that the level of football has gone down in the last 10 to 15 years because what has happened is that there's about eight teams in world football that super clubs that are basically monopolising all the best players in the world. So the Champions League, you know, from the quarterfinals onwards, looks at an incredible high level. And it is an incredible high level. But the actual, you know, the, the, the number of quality players across the board, across all clubs and all leagues, has, has reduced massively because it's just monopolised by a few, a few clubs and a few leagues. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's basically what's happened. And, the inter- and then we can see that in international football, the level has gone down so, so much. And, you know, you look at Maradona, what he did when he was playing internationally, 
Um, and international football was, was so high, incredibly high. I mean, you look at the 86 World Cup and what he did with that Argentina team, that Argentina team, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise, there's been some, some this post-revisionism on this like that Argentina 86 team, that, that anybody, the people that say that haven't actually watched that Argentina 86 team. Let me tell you, that Argentina 86 team was one of the most average teams Argentina have ever had. It was ridiculously average. You look at the individual, look at go for the players individually that they had in that Argentina team. There wasn't there wasn't hardly anyone in that team that, that's a household name. Just just a few, really. Um, very few of them played for big clubs. Uh, most of them played were were played in, in South America. Um, not many of them had particularly memorable careers. There was a few, Budochaga, um, Valdano. But you know, again, even these two, they they weren't. Great players. They, they were good to very good players. Uh, Ruggeri, the defender, who, who actually moved to Real Madrid and didn't do anything. You know, they, there's, there's hardly anyone. They, they didn't have a great team at all. They had a very, very average. They only just qualified for the World Cup for a playoff. They nearly, they nearly didn't even qualify for that World Cup. Maradona won that single-handedly. Um, what he did there was 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 absolutely incredible. Now, I think you put Messi in that 86 team. They don't win the World Cup because, because I think that's what the difference was between the two players, that Maradona... Could, could raise the quality of a really, really poor team and make them win. And in some ways, he did the same with Napoli, although Napoli did have lots of other top players. They certainly were nowhere near the best team in, in Italy. Um, no, no, no chance. You know, you had the Milan, the Inters, the Juventus. You know, what, what he did is he took a team that was a good to very good team and he made them a great team. And he won the, the Scudetto with them twice in the hardest league, the most difficult league there's ever been. So I guess the point I'm making is that what Maradona did internationally, even if Messi wins the World Cup this season, this this seat, this World Cup, what Messi did it did internationally will never get close to what Maradona, Maradona did. Not not even close. Um, you know, and remember Maradona took them to the World Cup in 1990. He wasn't great in that tournament, but he was still influential. Um, Messi's playing in a much better Argentina team. I don't think this is a great Argentina team either, but it's a much, much better team, this Argentina team, than the team in 86, player for player. You look at the, the rest of the quality in this Argentina team. Um, and and uh, also, finally, the other point was, yeah, just, just the quality of, of, uh, of international football, just the quality of the game, I thought was higher in 86. I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but I, I truly believe that. I think the quality across the board across the board was 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 higher. No, it's um, it's I, I agree with all of that. I've I really don't have anything to add to all of that. One hundred percent. But that's not taking anything away from Messi because I think he has been fantastic in this tournament. And remember, he's thirty five years old. Uh, and if there's one thing that Messi definitely has over Maradona, is that longevity is longevity for sure. It's because you know Maradona when he got into well, when he got kicked out of Italy when he was 30, he was still 30, actually. And he's just, you know, approaching 31 at the end of the 1990-91 season. You know, uh, you know, at the age of 31, Maradona's top-level career really was over. He went to Sevilla, but, you know, he after his drug ban, uh, and he went to the World Cup in 94, where he was playing really, really well in that tournament before, you know, the again, he got kicked out of that tournament. And then he went back to Argentina, uh, you know, and he was overweight and he had the drug problem. So, you know, he was his top level career was kind of over really by 30, 31. Whereas Messi, still at 35, you know, he's still doing it. And he he started very, very young as well. Maybe not as young as Maradona. As Maradona was a phenomenon already at 16, 17, but then so was Messi at 18, 19, 20, you know. 
Um, it's a. I'm sure we'll have this debate again, though. <laughs> We're sure we will if, if we Argentina. Sure I think it will be an Argentina Brazil semi final, and then it, it's it's toss a coin. <laughs> you know, I, I probably favour Brazil right now, but it's it's when it's Brazil versus Argentina, it's a derby. It, it doesn't necessarily go to to form or quality. It, it's it's a it, it becomes an all out slugfest, doesn't it? Mm, really, that's going to be so. I mean, Brazil, Argentina, and one semi final, and France, Portugal, and the other semi final. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that'd be after, after after USA, Iran. There's been a lot of derbies in this, in this, in this, <laughs> tour, been very, in this tournament. It is certainly, yeah. certainly. Um, just before we move on to Argentina, just, just very quickly because I know you touched upon this already before, but Lautaro, his struggles in this tournament because. He's got no goals, no assists. Uh, he, he played the first two games. I actually thought he did all right in the first game against against Saudi Arabia because I well I say he did all right, but I thought he took his two chances really clinically, like really classily. But obviously got disallowed for offside. But then I just think that since then he's he's, he's really mentally he just seems to his head seems to have gone and he seems to be so bereft of confidence and he's been dropped the last two games. And when he has come on, he's had such, he's had really big chances in the last two games. And the way that he's taken them have been so badly, so badly taken. Um, and he looks frustrated and he's thrown his arms. His body language looks bad. Uh, I mean, is this, is this something that Inter should be, not Inter should be worried about, but is this, is this something that, is it a little bit symptomatic of, of Lautaro Martinez in that, is this stopping him from becoming that world-class player that we keep saying he can, he has everything to become that world-class player, but just, it's something that holds him short, whether it's... Yeah, yeah, the, 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 it is. The, 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 it's the, the finishing. The, the... It's the clinical finishing. And I thought we were past this stage. I yeah. really thought we turned a corner last spring when he was playing like the number nine that I never thought he would become. And I was holding my hand up high on, on this. I was holding my hand up on this podcast saying I was wrong. I never thought he'd become that killer in the box. And he'd, he looked like he'd become it. But he's not. We're back. We're back to... He's regressed. Uh, this season, um, he's taken a step back in that regard, and it's it's getting you know he's not getting any younger. Uh, he's no longer just a talented up and coming player. He's an established player, and now's the time for him to shine. And he, you know, uh, not just talking about this tournament, which again I think is very fickle. I think if he gets into that tournament, in you know, if he gets into this game, the game against Saudi Arabia really well, and 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 scores once or twice, I think he flies after that. Um, uh, but what I do find encouraging is you see how Messi, you see, and, and when I, when you say Messi, that's that Messi's Argentina. When Messi likes somebody, the Argentinian national team likes somebody. He decides that. And, and it's quite clear they're all defending Lautaro. They're all wanting Lautaro to do well. They all, you know, you could see Messi really wanted passing him. There were chances he could have taken a few finishes himself, but he plays Lautaro into, into, into position. He wants him to do well. He wants him to get going because Messi's not stupid. He understands that, <clears throat> you know, Lautaro Martinez in form with confidence is, is a weapon in that, that can help Argentina very much win the World Cup. He's had a very disappointing World Cup so far, Lautaro, no doubt. But I mean, again, you go into the Netherlands game, Lautaro scores once or twice and becomes the hero, and then all of that is gone. I mean, we've seen this at Inter, haven't we? He goes in these patches where he doesn't score. I thought against uh, the U. Uh, I thought against Australia, he actually came on and did some good things. But I mean, that's all negated by the, these horrible, shocking finishes. 
you know, it's, it's all, I think it's a mental thing with him. I think if he, if, if he, cause I don't think he starts against the Netherlands, but I think if he comes on and he has a decisive role to play, he scores a goal, which we know he can do. We've seen him do it um, in big games, especially at club level. Uh, if he's able to, you know, translate that form that he's had at Inter when he's got, when he's in these non-scoring patches and, and he, and he ends them by scoring against the big teams, then, then that's, then that will turn his World Cup around for him because the further Argentina go and the more, you know, he's, he, he can be decisive in, in, in helping them forward, you know, that will change the narrative. No one will remember this if Argentina win the World Cup and Lautaro scores four goals from now until the final. Um, no one will remember his early. They'll just remember Lautaro, Messi, Argentina winning the World Cup. Yeah, you know, that, 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 there's that as well. But of course, there is that. Those question marks need to be need to be. It doesn't help that he's be. been dropped now, and that he's not going to. Well, I mean, he should. I, I understand that he's been dropped. I mean, I would play Julian. I, I would definitely not start him, especially when you've got someone who's scoring and and is in form and looks his confidence is as good as it is with Julian Alvarez. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's move on. France, Poland. So France beat Poland three uh, one. Yeah, three one. Yeah, Lewandowski scored the penalty right at the end. Um, two, two, two big talking points from this. I mean, Giroud has broken the France scoring record. He's overtaken Thierry Henry. Was level with him, um, and now he is third goal of the tournament for Giroud, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, I mean, from from my point of view, I think he's 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 having a great tournament. Thirty six years old. Um, he's. I mean, France haven't haven't missed Benzema at all um, so far. Obviously, they've got the huge game against England coming this this weekend where uh, maybe Benzema would have been, especially with England's aerial game, maybe cancelling out Giroud's biggest strength. Maybe Benzema might be more useful for that game, but, um, you know, he's still he's still going to be huge for that match. Um, I think, yeah, he's probably going to get the new Milan contract. His contract runs out at the end of the end of the. At uh, the end of the season, but you know Giroud is is uh, well, he's doing Milan and Serie A proud, isn't he? In this in this tournament, well, he absolutely is. I mean, he's the all time goal scoring goal scorer for France, isn't he? Um, and I don't think he's going to have that for much longer because I think in a few years' time, maybe three, Kylian Mbappe will be the all time French goal scorer. Um, I think he will, or Kylian Mbappe, if he has a normal. Uh, continues to develop like he is a normal career trajectory, given what the, traje- the trajectory he's already on. If he continues this trajectory, I think he'll be the all-time World Cup goal scorer in in, in just another World Cup. Uh, I already have him as my my top goal scorer this tournament, and I think he's pretty much clinched that with five goals. I think he'll score one or two more, and then that's it. And add to the four he scored four years ago when they won the World Cup. That's eleven. It's, you know, ten, eleven already. So. No, it's 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 crazy. I mean, he's he's only what tw- he's not even turned twenty three, is it? Has he? I mean, it's it's just he's twenty twenty three. He turns twenty four this month. He's oh he's, sorry, twenty four. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's it's it's. Well, he's twenty three now. He's still twenty. He's yeah. still twenty three. But twenty seven at the next World Cup because obviously it'll be yeah. back in in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. But but he's he's yeah. I do think I think he's going to break the World Cup all time World no. Cup record. He's sixteen. Miroslav Klose, and then he still hasn't even peaked yet. And I mean, he could be the player since, since, um, um, he, 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 he is, uh, he, he could be the player that equals theoretically equals, 
uh, Brazil's, you know, Pele's three World Cups, you know, because France, he's already got one. France are favorites to win this. They could win another in four years' time as well, or, or eight years' time. They're, you know, you know, just based on the, the talent they have. I mean, it's insane when you think about it. It's really, really crazy. It's, yeah, it's, no, his, um, his performance the other night was 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 out, outrageous. Uh, those two goals. I mean, not not even quarter chances. You know, in any any the the way that he. I mean, actually, Poland actually had a higher xG than than France in this game. But obviously, Mbappe, when you can score goals out of nothing like that, then then you know you, you're always going to have a chance of winning games. And, and yeah, I, I thought that Poland. I actually thought Poland did all right. Actually, compared to, I thought they were really bad in the tournament up until the France game. But I thought they they played quite well, and they really should have taken the lead. Zelinski, with a huge miss at nil nil, he he been burying those for, for Napoli. Uh, they should have been one nil up before before Giroud scored the scored the, the opener for for France. And um, Chesney, I thought um, I thought Chesney had a great tournament actually. Um, I, I actually think Chesney's probably been the best best goalkeeper in the tournament. I was just going to say that until until the last sixteen. So he, I thought he's well, he made two penalty saves, didn't he, in the group stages? So that that is one positive for <laughs> for Juventus. At least their goalkeeper's playing well, and they might need him. Um, okay, um, so they'll France will play Senegal, will play England, not Senegal. Um, Comes will win for England. There's not really much to say uh, about about England. It was a kind of routine win um, against a. Pretty poor Senegal team, to be honest. The Senegal did have a chance, big chance at nil-nil, but once England scored, it was pretty much all over. Um, Holland beat the USA three-one. There was just one talking point uh, I wanted to raise in uh, on this game, um, and that is uh, Matthias De Ligt has he can't get into the Holland team. I think he played was it just the first game that that yeah. he that he played, and then he's he's been left out of the team since then. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting one because, you know, when he went to Juventus, when he moved to Juventus for such big money, 80, 85 million or however much it was in 2019, he was obviously built up to be the next, the next biggest defensive star in world football. You know, he was going to be the next great defender of world football. And Juventus had beaten Barcelona to him and they'd beaten, um, you know, I think Man United were interested as well. And, you know, They'd got they'd got you know an absolute superstar on their hands, and he was young, and he could be there for many years, and and you know he really was the the, the complete defender. He had everything, um, and you know I've always said I think we both have said that he really was really not very good at Juventus. He was decent at most, really. I think the first two seasons he was pretty just just decent. The second, I thought this final season he was pretty good, but not outstanding. I thought he was good. Um, and now he's gone to Bayern, and at Bayern Munich, he's not really been great. I haven't—I'll be honest—I haven't watched too much of Bayern, but everyone that I've spoken to, you know, he hasn't always played. He's been, you know, a little bit lucky. Was at Juventus, a little bit mistake prone now and again, a bit clumsy. Um, and now we're looking at Holland, and you know, he, he doesn't get into the Holland uh, backline. You know, Van Hal plays a three-man defence, and he he plays. Um, Van Dyke in the middle. Uh, he plays Nathan Ake at left centre back, and he plays um, Julian Timber at right centre back. And the reason why he does that is, and I think this is one of the criticisms that I had of Delict when he was at Juventus, is that he's not the most flexible tactically. You know, he wants 
what Van Gaal wants is he wants his centre-backs to be able to move from a three to a, a two. Um, and then one of the other centre-backs moves to a full-back. So, for example, Timber can move to right-back, so where whereby Van Dijk and Ake will be centre-backs. Then uh, Blind comes back from his left wing-back role to become a left-back. Uh, Timber moves over to right back and then Dumfries pushes right forward from his right wing back area to become a right winger. So it's very tactically flexible. They can move that. Uh, something that I think Holland have done very well in this 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 this, this tournament because I'm, I'm not partic- I'm not particularly rate Holland. I don't think they're they're, they're they're a particularly great team, but I think they have they have worked very well tactically in this tournament. Uh, and this is an example of that. And it's something that Delict just doesn't really seem to 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 be capable to have the ability to be able to do because, you know, he's, I don't think he's very, yeah, he's not very flexible tactically or physically. Like he doesn't move very well. I don't think he, he's very, he moves freely laterally or, or when he has to, you know, defend space, like on the, you know, if he was a right centre back, we'd have to defend that space in behind uh, and to the side of him where the wing back is, like where Dumfries is, for example, and Dumfries likes to push forward. And, um, so, you know, I think the, the, the is how old is Delict now? Is he twenty? Is he still twenty three? Was he twenty four? Um, you know, I think the, the question needs to be. I mean, I think the question needs to be asked now. I mean, has Delict been overrated, or is it still too early to say? He's, he's, he's only twenty three years old, and the central defenders usually come on. You know, their strike. You know, really hit their peak a little bit later in their careers. I think he had. A, he had. He did. He did say something about uh, this thing, saying like, you know. You know, Van Gaal has been very honest with me. He's been very, he's been very honest about who, what he wants from me, and what he wants to, um, to do, and and all that stuff, and 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 why he hasn't played me enough, and I completely understand that. Um, so you know, it's because of the way that they want to play. I mean, whatever that is, I personally think that De Ligt maybe in a back three in this back three would probably do well. Um, you know, but I mean, that's just my opinion, but Van Gaal agrees. And I think Van Gaal knows better than, than lots of people. Um, I really respect him. Uh, but look, it's, uh, I, I do agree with you um, that it's a little bit clock is ticking. Um, the, the question is very valid. Is he overrated? Was he overrated? Um, was it the wrong move for him at that point in his career to go to Juve to a new league? Was that the right step given where Juve were, given where he was? All of these um, are valid questions. I really, really think so. But well, but but I mean, I'm still not ready to quite give up on him just yet. Yeah, I think it's the lack of progress which is the which is the worrying thing. You know, <clears throat> you can you can say a player is not good enough, but you can say, is he improving though? Are we seeing, can we see little, you know, areas of his game that are developing? And I can honestly say that the delict that came from Ajax in 2019 compared to the, to the, to the delict now, three and a half years later, has he improved? Is there any area of his game that you can say he's actually improved, that he's a better player? I, I can't, I don't know if I can, to be honest. I don't. I don't see him as a better player now than in any area. To be honest, the, the issues that he had then, I think he still has now. He's still clumsy. He's still a bit flat-footed. Uh, he still doesn't move particularly well on the turn. Um, you know. So I think you know, and he gives away. You know, he's, he's liable to give away penalties and you know free kicks and and you know. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's another one of those where. 
you know, Juventus, they made a mistake uh, signing him. And by signing him, they got rid of, um, they had to get rid of, you know, they had to make sacrifices elsewhere, like get rid of Cancelo and, and Spinazzola and the like, you know. So, um, okay, they've sold him now, but it's, um, yeah, just it was another another example of Paratici and, and uh, making a bad deal. Okay, right. Um, before we finish, um, so last week we did a, a greatest ever Italy World Cup eleven, where we picked our our best Italy team, went through each position, goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, attacker, and we picked the, the best Italy coach, we picked the best Italy winger, we picked a, a best Italy eleven. Um, that was on last Monday's show, so take a listen to that. What we're going to do today is, and we won't spend ages on this because we're already we're already quite well on our way through this show, is um, pick the greatest ever Italy World Cup tournament team. And when I say that, I mean, what is Italy's greatest ever World Cup tournament team? Was it their 2006 team? Was it their 1982 team? Was it uh, the 1990 team? Which you know, which team? Which team it was? Now I'm not going to go through every single team because it's going to take us too long. So what I'll do is, uh, Nima, do you want to? You tell me which teams you liked and which team you would then ultimately pick as as the as the best team. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, I mean the 82 team, the 90, the 94, 2006. I mean these are you know these are teams that are very you know i have an emotional attachment to um especially the even though the 2002 team was a bit you know they didn't exactly do well i really really enjoy i really like that team uh and also what the you know the the you know euro, euro 2000 you know that because that, it was the core of the euro 2000 team uh wasn't it um and but it, and it was kind of the culmination of that was what became the 2006 but i i mean from a you know when you're a kid and when you're emotionally attached to things the 1990 team will always be special for me i i can't get away from it yeah yeah i mean it depends how you want to when i look at this i mean if you're looking at the best team i guess you know obviously winning the trophy is obviously you know <laughs> The most important, the most important thing, and Italy have won the World Cup four times in 34, 38, 82, and two thousand and six. But you know, again, as we said on last Monday's show, I just can't sit here and tell you how good the thirty four and thirty eight team is because I haven't seen their games. They're, they're, there's only short highlights of the show. Every other, every other, every Italy World Cup game that they've played in a tournament from 60, 1962 through till today at the finals themselves, I've watched every single game. So. I feel comfortable sitting here and telling you which team I think was was the best. Um, but I mean, if you're going on the teams that won the trophies, then obviously it's out of eighty-two and two thousand and two thousand and six, um, and it's you know a bit like the debate between Zoff and Buffon. I don't, I just can't separate those two teams at all. Um, they're just you know they're they're they're, they're so they're so so close between those two teams. Um, but I mean, if if I was to pick. You know, it's weird because there's many people, and I'm almost inclined to agree that the 1978 team, the 1978 Italy team, was actually better than the than the 1982 team. Um, and in a similar way, there's many people that think that the 2002 Italy team, which went out in the last 16, had more talent than the 2006 team. And you take the 2002 team, you know, they had 
they had maybe the best striker in the world, uh, you know, in or certainly the top three in Christian Vieri at that 2002 World Cup. Whereas in 2006, they didn't really have a striker. I mean, Luca Toni was there, but he didn't play well. He'd come off that golden boot, European golden boot winning season, but he didn't really have the best World Cup. He kind of did a job, he held it up, but he wasn't really devastating. Whereas in 2002, I mean, just, you know, you had all those attackers that were all at their peak, you know, in the peak of their careers. Um, and then, you you know, you had so many defenders and you had, you know, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a tough one. And then, but then I look, but then also, you know, I look at the 1990 team and that team in 1990 was, was just, I mean, there's no doubt it was the best team in the tournament. They didn't even barely conceded a chance, let alone conceded a goal until, you know, midway through the second half of the semi-final when Zenga made that big mistake. Um, and until then, you know, they they barely, no one even laid a, laid a glove on them. Um, and I'm sure they would have won the World Cup um, if it wasn't for that mistake. And But then, you know, the manager, the manager was a bit defensive in that semi-final. Uh, Vicini, you know, he, they were 1-0 up and they were playing against a poor Argentina team and he decided to just try and hold on to what he had. Uh, rather than go and get the second goal, which was a common mistake that Italian managers made. They made the same mistake in 1978 against um, Holland. They were 1-0 up against Holland. They were going through to the final. They needed to win the game. And at half-time, uh, Bietzot took off the best player on the pitch, uh, Franco Calcio, who was terrorising his, his left-back uh, in that game, um, took him off. They tried to hold on to the 1-0 and Holland scored with two miracle goals from from miles out and they and ended up losing and they didn't qualify for the final. Um you know, but the 1990 team just had the best defence ever. Um, probably the best Italy defence I think we've ever had was the 1990 defence. I mean, it was unbreachable. It was, you know, Bergami, uh, Riccardo Ferri, uh, Franco Baresi and Paolo Maldini. I mean, that defence was just, <laughs> was just, it was just unbelievable. Baresi at the peak of his powers, um, you know, and then the, the firepower of, you know, you had Baggio and then you had, Midfielders like Donadoni and De Napoli and Giannini and I mean just just Scalacci got hot in that tournament. It was you know amazing, amazing team. So I'm almost inclined to say 1990. You know, yeah. obviously they didn't they didn't win the trophy, so that is what counts, isn't it? I mean, just those those, those images, those iconic images, Walter Zenga and I mean that back four. <laughs> it's just now Bergomi Ferri. Ciro Ferrara, Maldini, Baresi. I mean, it was just, you know, ah, uh, oh, no, it was, no, it's, it's such an iconic, and those shirts and, and the oh, Rome's yeah. Olympic Stadium and, ah, uh, no, I mean, that song, you know, Nostate Italiana, you know. Mm. Oh, and Pavarotti as well. And yeah. as well. Yeah, Dorma. Just, I mean, I mean, it was, it's just such an iconic, I mean, it's one of those things though. I mean, the World Cup for me is so, it's, I look at it, it's, it's, it's you know, it's the stories. And I think, when you're a child, the one that had the deepest impact on me is Italian 90. So nothing, for, and, and that team is, and, and that West Germany team and that Italy team are, are so symptomatic of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like what we were discussing about the quality, I mean, again, you look at the quality of, of the teams, it was just unbelievable. And that West Germany team was, was out of this world. Uh, it really was. And Brazil had a great team as well, but they went out to, they went out to Argentina in the last 16. They absolutely battered them in that game. And Argentina had one chance uh, for a moment. Moment of magic from Maradona, who 
who went on a brilliant solo run and set up Kanija, who scored the goal. But apart from that, Brazil absolutely battered them, uh, played them off the park. And I remember Italy being so happy that Brazil were out because Brazil were, you know, were, were in the route, were in Italy's route and they were out. And then the Italy ended up going out to Argentina. Uh, and I still haven't got over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't think some things you never get over. I will never get over Euro 2000 final. That That's the one. No, that that's another one. Yeah. That's I just can't one. get over that. I, I can't accept that. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's one of those ones where you still can't believe it. You still can't believe it. Like, how did this happen? Um, yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay, let's finish off with Bad Joe and Prim Face of the Week. Okay. Um, Baggio. Baggio. Who, who we got for Baggio? I mean, it's Mbappe. It's got to be Mbappé. Yeah, Mbappé. Yeah. Mbappé. Mbappé, Chesney. Uh, and also, I don't know if we... I think this we reco- This is uh, the first time we're doing this segment since we record, since this happened. But Keylor Navas' save uh, <laughs> against Germany is... Yeah. Uh, it's one of the most incredible saves I think I've ever seen in my life. How the hell did he keep that ball out? From Filkrug, I think it is. It's just yeah. wow. That that's badger worthy. Yeah, that was that was an amazing save. Yeah, there has been some good, some great saves in this tournament. Actually, there hasn't been that many great long shots in this tournament. There's one criticism of this tournament: not many great long range goals at all. So uh, you know, Mbappe, but that was just outside the area. There was a free kick from one of the Mexico players um, that was brilliant. Hasn't been. It's been you know, I'm feeling Jabalani vibes from this ball the way that it's moving and how light it is and shots just going blazed over the bar. Um, I don't know what they've done with their football this, this year, but yeah. Um, Prem face. Who we got for Prem face? I've got one. Yeah, you go for one. Um, uh, it's Prem face overload right now, but I'm sure you, yeah. I think I know which one you've picked. Uh, you probably don't. Right? Let me just find it. Cause I only got sent it this morning. Uh, <laughs> let's have a look. I mean the, the the Declan. There was one about Declan Rice again, and and how he what was he so what was it if he went to Chelsea they would be unbeatable. Oh. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. Though. I didn't see that. Declan Rice is just just Declan Rice is an example. I feel bad for him. He's not asked for any of this attention. No, no, no. no I don't make... feel sorry for him. I don't feel sorry for him because he he's getting he's been very mouthy for a long time about how great. England are and even even himself you know which is good it's good to have confidence but he's he's yeah he's been like a bit delusional at times you know I remember when Italy beat uh, England in the Nations League and he, and he was saying that Italy only had one shot and England dominated and, and played great football and England barely did anything all game you know uh, yeah he's um, yeah no here we go so this is from a guy called uh, what's his name he works for B in Sports Andy Kerr, uh, who's been, I've seen a few of his tweets going around. Um, He said, Kylian Mbappe may be more popular, but Phil Phil Foden is the most technically gifted player at this World Cup after Messi. So there you have it. (laughs) Phil, Phil 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 Foden's better than Kylian Mbappe now, guys. Didn't, 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 who else, who was it who said about like he's, He's he's even a, who was it that I think it was someone on Talksport who said that Foden is even a bigger natural talent than Lionel Messi, which I was like, right, I'm done. That's enough internet for me. Like when I saw that, it's like yeah. I was done for the day. Yeah, we're gonna, oh we're gonna get God. a lot of that. We're gonna get a lot of that in the next <laughs> few days. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. 
Oh, sweet Jesus in heaven. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's, yeah, never, never change, guys. Never change. Right. Um. <laughs> oh, okay, dear. right. That's all we have time for today. Um, we will be back. So Tuesday, Tuesday we will have uh, interview episode. No, we don't have the interview episode. We have the Q&A episode on Tuesday. Yes. Um, we are doing the interview tomorrow. Um, we'll reveal who it is tomorrow. Um, it's a Serie A player. It's a striker, one of the best strikers in Serie A. So you can start having a think and having a guess on who you think it is. We'll reveal who it is tomorrow. We're looking forward to that. And that will come out uh, later, later in the week. Okay, right. Until next time, ciao, ciao.